Welcome to the Eternal Family Podcast class. This is class number 14, where we continue to ask the question, how do I make my family eternal? We have been talking about making and keeping the covenants. As we continue that concept of making and keeping, we now look at the question of what does it mean to keep the covenant? It's much more than just the sealing covenant. It's all gospel covenants. What are the covenants I need to keep in order to make my family last forever? Today, we look at the first portion of those covenants that occur in the chapel. Chapel covenants, you might call them. So today, what we're going to do, I just I want to remind you where we are. Well, I, I like to start exactly in the proclamation itself so you can see where we are. In the pre-mortal realm, spirit sons and daughters knew and worshiped God as their eternal father and accepted his plan by which his children could obtain a physical body and gain earthly experiences to progress towards perfection and ultimately realize their divine destiny as heirs of eternal life. The divine plan of happiness enables family relationships to be perpetuated beyond the grave. Sacred ordinances and covenants available in holy temples make it possible for individuals to return to the presence of God and for families to be united eternally. How do you create an eternal family? You make the covenant and then you keep the covenant. So the logical next place to go is we're going to spend the last three classes of this class talking about exactly what are the covenants I need to keep. If last week is make them and then keep them, what are the covenants I need to keep? Notice, I love that it's ordinances and covenantses. Which covenant makes my eternal family? Is it the sealing ordinance alone that I have to keep? What are the covenants I have to keep? And what's the answer to that? All of them. They are all related. When did I start making the covenants that makes my family eternal? I'm a dad. I have 10 kids. Jen and I are trying to make an eternal family. When did I first make the first covenant that allows me to influence that family in such a way that it becomes eternal? And how old was I? I started building an eternal family when I was eight. Every covenant I have made since that day is part of the covenant I have to keep. Now, I'm going to break that into two pieces. And allow me to suggest that if we want to understand the covenants that we make, we have to understand our journey through mortality. Now, can anyone tell me what kind of world we live in? We live in a fallen, what does that mean? What is this world? What is this world if we say it's a fallen world? It is a telestial world. 
We live in a telestial world. Now, let me help. Let me be very clear. We are distinguishing between telestial kingdom, which is a kingdom of glory, and the telestial world we have to navigate through on our way to the kingdoms of glory. This world is a telestial planet. And all around you are telestial things. We start off in that telestial world. Now, in the temples, these are dramatically symbolized. I'm just going to show you a picture that the church has produced. I'm not showing you anything inappropriate. I want to make sure you're not looking at me like, <gasps> but this is a picture of the telestial room in the Salt Lake Temple. There is a telestial room. And this telestial room is symbolic of the telestial world in which we live. And I don't think I need to, I don't think you need a wake up call, but as you look around and watch what's going on in this world, it's very telestial, isn't it? There are telestial things all around you. Now, step number one, your first step in the journey to keeping the covenants and making it back to your Heavenly Father's presence is what? You have to get out of the telestial world. This is a picture of the terrestrial room in the Salt Lake Temple. Do you sense we've taken a step up? When you look at the two rooms, do you sense that we've taken a step up? Now, the beautiful thing about the Salt Lake Temple is we have literally taken a step up. How many telestial things can I bring into this world? How many? Am I allowed five? Four? Zero. So what if some of you are holding on to telestial things in your life? What if you're holding on to telestial sins and telestial habits? What happens? You stay in the telestial room. You can't leave. The only way to leave the telestial room is by doing what? Letting go of everything that's telestial. You cannot take any telestial sins into the terrestrial world. So, step number one, journey number one, covenants part A are getting out of the telestial room. Now, that's what we're going to talk about today. So, what then would be covenants part two? If we've got a covenants part A and a covenants part two, what would covenants part two be? Get out of the terrestrial room and this is the celestial room of the Salt Lake Temple. Again, the church gave me this picture, authorized, it's on the website, I didn't go in the temple and take a picture. Now, do you sense this is a step up? Do you feel it? Just looking at it, you can feel the difference, can't you? And the beauty of the Salt Lake Temple is we literally have gone up. Every room is up. We have 
come out of the terrestrial and into the celestial. Now, how many terrestrial sins can you bring into the celestial room? So covenants part two are focused on what? Covenants part A is focused on helping us let go of telestial. Covenants part two are helping us let go of all the terrestrial things we're doing. Now, may I suggest that, well, let me throw one more picture up there. In the Old Testament, They obviously didn't have the manpower to build lots of buildings. We, we can build lots of buildings today. So they didn't have chapels and temples in separate places like we do. It was all one building. This is the ancient building. And it was both the chapel and the temple. But I want you to see it as a journey from telestial to terrestrial to celestial. This outer courtyard represents the telestial kingdom, the telestial world, the telestialness of our journey. So all of the way out, this is telestial. And then you enter the temple itself and this very first room, see there's a veil there and there's a, there's a veil there. This first room is guess which room? Terrestrial. In the Old Testament, they called it the holy place but it represents the terrestrial world. And then there was another veil, and inside was the most sacred place on earth. They called it the Holy of Holies, but it's very similar to a celestial room. So telestial, terrestrial, celestial. See the journey? Now, these little objects are the covenants we make at that phase of our journey. So the very first item when you came into the temple was the altar of sacrifice. Now, I would suggest that these are the ordinances that help us get out of the telestial and into the terrestrial. These are the ordinances that help us get out of terrestrial and into celestial. And we don't do this today. We don't have one building. We have lots of buildings. So where would you suspect we focus the ordinances that help us go from telestial to terrestrial? Where do we make ordinances that take that step? In the chapel. In the chapel. Right here is one of them. And right in that room is another one, right? What's in that other room? A baptismal font. And then here's a sacrament table. And those are the ordinances of the chapel. Now, what is the invitation of these ordinances? What is the invitation of this ordinance, that ordinance, that ordinance, that ordinance? Overcoming telestial. So let's do that one tonight. That if you're going to make and keep your covenants, you need to understand that part A of that is getting out of the telestial world. And it'll take a whole lifetime to do that. This is not something you do in a day. 
Symbolically, we all leave the celestial room in the temple, but spiritually, that's going to take a whole lifetime, won't it? We're all struggling with letting go of celestial things. So let's talk about keeping your covenants to get out of the celestial and into the terrestrial. And I thought the best way to do that is to start here. I'm going to take you back to the Old Testament and we're going to offer a sacrifice. We're going to do it together. I want you to know what offering a sacrifice was like in the Old Testament. And as we describe it, I want you to think, what's the covenant here? What is my covenant? What am I doing here? And all of this is to get out of the celestial and into the terrestrial. So let's make a sacrifice. Let's go back in time. Let's go to the tabernacle and let's offer a sacrifice. So turn with me in your Bible dictionary to the word sacrifices. Bible dictionary, look up the word sacrifices. In the fourth paragraph, you're going to see a list, a six item list. See if you can find that list. That's where we're going to go. We could go through the book of Leviticus, but it's just easier to use the Bible dictionary. So let me pull it up. Okay, so here I am. Notice sacrifices. I found the word sacrifices. About it, four paragraphs in, you're going to find this list. See it? One, two, three, four, five, six. These are the six steps to offer a sacrifice. So um, I symbolically brought, let me show you who I brought. Where'd she go? I brought my little granddaughter. This is Rosie. She is the joy, one of the joys of my life. This is my little granddaughter. I have brought my granddaughter to the temple with me. You come along, and I'm going to teach Rosie how to offer a sacrifice. All right, let's go to the list. Ready? Number one. Tell me what we do first. Okay, so Rosie and I brought a lamb. That's my preference. I think that's appropriate because it represents what? The lamb of God. I think there's no better animal to represent Jesus. Now, step number one is they need to make sure that my offering represents Jesus. This lamb has to represent Jesus. So which lamb do you think I brought? The best I had, the cleanest, I want it to be white, no broken bones. I want it to be the best lamb that I have because it has to represent Jesus. That's test number one. The lamb is Jesus. And they're going to test it. The, the priest is going to look at the lamb and say, okay, this is a worthy sacrifice. It passes the test. Now, this is where it gets weird for Latter-day Saints. 
The next thing Rosie and I are going to do is what? We're going to lay our hands on the head of the lamb. Why? This lamb not only represents Jesus, but what else does this lamb represent? The animal in me. The telestial part of me. This lamb is an animal. And I have an animal inside me. Everything that, every telestial thing I desire is from that animal. That animal is a telestial thing inside me. The natural man inside me. And so Rosie and I lay our hands upon this animal to dedicate it as a represent, as a substitute. This lamb represents everything that's ugly in me. This lamb represents the lies I tell, the lust, the pride. This animal is everything that's ugly inside me. I have an animal inside me. And so now this lamb represents Jesus and the celestial part inside of me. So guess what number three is? The priest is going to hand Rosie and I. I hope the priest hands it to Rosie. Now tell me what my little granddaughter is going to do when the priest hands her the knife. What would you do? Grandpa, why is he handing me a knife? Grandpa, what's the knife for? Grandpa, what's the knife for, Grandpa? And what do I say to her? Rosie, you and I have to kill this lamb. Can you imagine the look on her face? That sweet little girl. Let me show you that little sweet little girl. Tell me what this little girl does when I tell her she and I have to kill this lamb. What does she do? She starts to cry. And what does she say? What do you think she's going to say to me? Grandpa, why does the lamb have to die? The lamb didn't do anything wrong. Why does the lamb have to die? And Rosie and I are going to have two conversations. Number one, Rosie and I are going to have this conversation. Why did the lamb have to die, Rosie? Why did the lamb have to die? And what would happen to you and I? What would happen to our family if the lamb didn't die? What would happen to every hope I have if the lamb didn't die. The lamb had to die, Rosie. And then we would have this discussion. If we don't kill the animal in our family, what will the animal do? If I don't kill the animal, what's going to happen? The animal will kill me. My family has an animal. I have an animal. Every one of you has an animal inside you, and either you kill that animal or the animal kills you. Here's the knife. Allow me to be a little worldly. I carry on my key ring 
the one ring, the ring to, and in the darkness bind them. I carry Frodo's ring. I think this ring is a symbol of the natural man. Now, how many times had Gollum put that ring on? Smeagol. How many times had Smeagol put that ring on? Hundreds, millions. And because of it, what happened? This ring controlled him. The ring controlled him. And I think that's a symbol. If the more you yield to the natural man, what happens? The natural man controls you. Do you know someone? Do you love someone who is becoming more animal because they keep yielding to the natural man? Now, Frodo carries it. Is Frodo the hero of this story? I don't know who your hero is in Lord of the Rings, but I love Frodo. I love Frodo. He's a great character, but Frodo is not my hero. Because in the end, what's Frodo going to do? In the very end, when he finally comes to Mount Doom, the whole story is to get the ring to Mount Doom and destroy it. Throw it in the mountain. And as soon as he gets there, he gets to Mount Doom. What does Frodo do? I can't do it. He can't let it go. He can't kill the animal. It controls him too much. He's put it on too many times. If Gollum hadn't bitten it off his finger and fallen into the lava, what would have Frodo had done? He would have kept it. If you ask me, do you know who my hero is? My hero in the Lord of the Rings is Sam. Samwise Gamgee. Because why? Sam is the only person who carries the ring and isn't controlled by he never puts it on he is not controlled by the ring and the reason i love that is because if i don't kill this, if i don't control this animal tell me what it will do it will control me so rosie i will hold the lamb and you kill it. Here you go, sweetheart. Do you think she'd remember that? Yep. Do you think that would have an impact on her life? And the next time the natural man inside her starts to rear its ugly head, do you think she'd remember the lamb? Do you think she'd remember Jesus? I'm glad we don't offer animals, aren't you? I'm so glad we don't offer animals. But I kind of wish one time my family could, because I think she'd remember that. And, and if she ever yells at her brother, I would remind her, you're letting the animal out. So one, it's Jesus. Two, it's you. Three, you have to kill the lamb. Number four, tell me what, now the priest does it. Rosie and I don't do it, but we're, we're there participating. Tell me what happens next. What's the fourth step? 
the sprinkling of the blood. Now, how does that point to number one? How does that point to Jesus as the lamb? This one's obvious, right? His blood, right? His blood was shed. He sweat from every pore. Clearly, sprinkling of the blood is a reference to Jesus. How does this point to number two? How does this now point to the animal in me? Why do I sprinkle the blood on the altar? The altar now represents the atonement of Christ, right? And I'm sprinkling the blood on the atonement. Now, let me tell you a cool symbol that I see here. Tell me what color you think Jesus wore into Gethsemane. What do you think he was wearing when he went into Gethsemane? Knowing him well enough, what do you think he wore? White. I'm positive Jesus wore white. I think he walked into Gethsemane wearing white. Now, knowing what happened in Gethsemane, where he sweat great drops of blood, what color did he walk out wearing? Literally. Jesus came out wearing red. Now, I am going to meet Jesus in Gethsemane. He and I have a meeting. Every one of you will meet Christ in Gethsemane. And what do I walk in wearing? Jesus, or Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet. So I am covered in my sins. I am covered in red. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet Jesus in Gethsemane. And what am I going to do? I'm going to exchange. I'm going to sprinkle my red onto him. He comes into Gethsemane wearing white and leaves wearing. I come in wearing and walk out wearing. That's how it works. And Jesus and I are having an exchange. I take his white because he takes my red. And I think as we're pouring the blood on the altar, that's what Rosie and I are going to talk about. Sprinkling our sins onto Christ. When Jesus comes again, what color will he wear? Second coming, what color will Jesus be wearing? Red. He will not come in white. His army will come in white. Jesus will come in red. So there are occasionally, you know, you, you'll find them. The most appropriate pictures of Christ. I think, see if I have one. I think I have one. I thought I had one. Okay, I don't. All right, let's do number five. I think this is the most important one. Because all of this is wonderful, but the question is, how do I kill my natural man? Rosie, here's the knife, kill the animal. But what does that mean Rosie needs to do every day? What do I need to do every day to kill the animal? So tell me what step number five is. We burn it. How do you make the animal go away? What makes the animal go away? Fire. Fire makes the animal go away. So what do we, what is the symbol of the fire? What does the fire symbolize? You've all sung it, right? The Spirit of God like a fire is burning. Or what's the baptism of the, 
What's the baptism? What's the confirmation? The baptism of fire. So really simple. How do you make the animal go away? How do you make the animal in you go away? Holy Ghost. Fire makes the animal go away. Everyone turn with me to Mosiah chapter 3. Let's go to the book of Mosiah. King Benjamin was taught by an angel about the natural man. Mosiah chapter 3. Book of Mormon. Mosiah 3. Verse 19. Anyone still have it memorized? For the natural man is an enemy to God. There's the animal. The natural man is an enemy to God and has been from the fall of Adam and will be forever and ever unless what? There it is. There's the fire. Unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and putteth off the natural man and becometh a saint. So when we talk about making and keeping the covenant, you want an eternal family? Make and keep the covenant. What is keeping the covenant? It's filling your life with the Holy Ghost so that the natural man goes away. Because if I don't control that natural man, what will the natural man do? It will control me. All right, let's get to the last step. So we... We kill the animal, we sprinkle the blood on the altar, we burn it, and then we don't burn all of it. You never burnt the whole animal. You take the, the priest takes a portion of the animal, that's their pay, and then you take a good portion of the animal home, and what do you do? You celebrate. You celebrate that you are overcoming the natural man. This is a great victory. And we should celebrate that we're overcoming the natural man. And that is offering a sacrifice. Rosie and I just took an animal to the temple and we offered a sacrifice. So now let's go to this building. That's Old Testament. Let's go to this building. What's the first ordinance you participate in in this building? Baptism. So where do you see the killing of the animal in baptism. We've all kind of, we always talk about baptism. What's the fourth article of faith say? Faith, repentance, baptism by immersion for the? So we talk about baptism as a cleansing. And I get that. That's a beautiful. But notice, we don't do this. The, the token of baptism is to pour water over our hands and do this. What's the token of baptism? You die and are buried. And if you don't go all the way down, how much, of the anima, how much of the animal do you have to kill? All of it. How much of the animal do you have to bury? And then you come up new. Do you see it? Do you see death of the natural man in baptism? We kill the animal and we bury him. Over there is a font. Now notice all fonts are where? Below ground. That's where you bury people. You have to have it. Where's the baptismal font in the temple? 
It's in the basement. You always have to bury underground. And there's the death of the natural man. Where is it here? Let's talk sacrament. Show me the death of the natural man in the sacrament. Where do we see it? Tell me what we do to that bread. Wouldn't it be easier if we just started with pre-broken bread, especially when there's a big missionary farewell or something? But we don't start with pre-broken bread because what is the heart and soul of the sacrament? It's the breaking of the bread. Now, when Jesus ended animal sacrifice, what did he replace it with? We don't offer animals anymore, so tell me what we offer. Turn to 3rd Nephi. Let's go to the Book of Mormon. He taught the, he taught the Nephites what the replacement would be. Turn to 3rd Nephi chapter 9. After his atonement, after his death and resurrection, when he speaks to the Nephites, he tells them, no more animals. No more animals. 3rd Nephi chapter 9, verse 19. Someone read this one. Step number one, no more animals. Abby? Okay, so no more animals. No more animals. Instead, what do you and I offer instead of animals? Read it. So what are they doing over there with that bread? They're breaking the bread. Reminding me that what am I supposed to do? Break my heart. So let's talk about what's a broken heart. Not someone who just got dumped by their girlfriend. What's a broken heart gospel sense? What's a broken heart? Okay, so what broke? What broke to make me humble? So clearly, that's part of the natural man, right? My pride. Let me give you an example. Anyone ever broken a horse? When I was a kid, I, my neighbor had a ranch. My neighbor had a little horse corral. Not a ranch, but it was a really horse corral. And he rescued horses. And I loved to help him out. And I'll never forget one day a wild horse came in on a trailer with a broken leg. There was, it wasn't fully broken. But he had a wild horse with a broken leg, and he was determined to save the horse. What do we typically do with horses with broken legs? We put them down. It's very hard to heal a horse's broken leg. But he was determined to save this horse. Now, tell me what the horse did when he first arrived. I, I was there when the horse came off the corral, off the trailer. Tell me what the wild horse did when he first arrived. Now, the first thing that the rancher did is he put a rope around the horse's neck. Tell me what that horse did to that rope. Can you picture it? Tell me what that horse is going to do with that rope. Now, do you see the natural man here? Isn't this a beautiful image of the natural man? This is Heavenly Father, and this is me. And Heavenly Father's saying, I want to save you. I want to help you. I want to heal your broken leg. But you have to trust me. And the horse is saying, I don't. This is the natural man. 
I don't trust you. Now, what has to happen? What has to happen? If, we're, if this horse has a broken leg and we're going to save that horse, what has to happen? That has to break. That resistance, that pulling away from God, that has to break. I have to break the natural man. I have to break this idea in my head that I'm better off on my own that I can heal my own leg, and I don't need a kind rancher to help me. And so many of us are running around saying, I don't need Heavenly Father, I can do it on my own. That has to break. I was just thinking, I guess, another way of it, especially for at least me, like, he, he did so much, and I, I don't want him to hurt, I guess, even though he already did all of it. I see what you're saying. Or I need to do it all. I need to take it. I need, I need to yield. So tell me what we do. Every sacrament, when the priests stand right there and they take that bread that symbolizes the animal in me, the resistance in me, and what do they do? They break it. Do you see the covenant? Now, can I say it plainly? You will never have an eternal family until the animal inside you is broken. Will I ever, will I ever be a father like Heavenly Father and still be an animal? It pains me that some of you have been treated, some of you have been hurt by animals. People who are controlled by the animal inside them. That's not an eternal family, is it? The only way I contribute to eternal family is if I break this. Now, the Book of Mormon has a great story about a group of people who had to do what? Bury their their swords. Notice, turn with me to Alma chapter 23. What did they bury? Now that's what I would think it says. I, you, you, what, tell me, say that out loud. They're weapons of war. That's not what the scriptures say. That's what I expect them to say. I expect them to say that I have to bury my weapons of war. That's not what they had to bury. What did they have to bury? That's a, that's a fascinating thought. I have to bury my weapons of rebellion. The rope. I have to do what? Break it. I have to break my rebellion. Do you see why we partake of the sacrament? Now, what do you do with that bread that they just broke? And by eating it, what are you doing? What are you saying to Heavenly Father? I promise. I will bury the weapons of my rebellion. Yeah. Yep. Help me, Lord. All right. How about the sacrament? How about the water? Go ahead. 
yeah. of doing it. Uh, there, you have to spend, sometimes it can take hours, yeah. depending on how wild. And it's kind of like the sacrament. You can't just take the sacrament once and break the bread once. You have to do it. Many Beautiful. Times. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. Tell me, what would be the symbol? Going back to this picture, what would be the symbol of a broken horse? What, what would be the symbol that you would know that horse has buried the weapons of its rebellion? Okay, I'll not only let you ride me, but how about this? I don't have to pull, you don't have to pull me, Lord. What could the Lord do with the rope? The Lord could lay the rope on his shoulder and walk away, and what would I do? I would follow him. That is a broken horse. And when can the rancher heal that leg? Only then. When the horse says, here I am, Lord. So the next time you go to sacrament meeting and you watch those priests break that bread, would you think about what it means? Would you be rosy at that sacrifice, killing that animal? Would you understand that step one in all of these covenants, step one is to get out of the telestial room. And that means to overcome the natural man, whether you're killing it or breaking it or burying it. Step number one of our covenants is to get out. Now let's do the water. We did the bread. <coughs> let's do the water. <coughs> When Jesus was in Gethsemane, do you remember what he prayed? Father, if thou be willing, remove this. In Gethsemane, the atonement symbolically was given to Jesus as a cup to drink. What happened when he drank it? He died. He drank that cup and died. Now, what's he asking you to do? Drink the cup and let something inside you die. Drink the cup. What's in the cup? What did I put in his cup? Let's be honest. What did I put in his cup? What did you put in his cup? All the worst part of you. You put in his cup all the ugly stuff. And what did he do? He drank it. What is he putting in your cup? The best that he has. And he says, drink it up. For some of you, he says, go on a mission. I don't want to. I don't want to, Lord. I don't want to go on a mission. You break your heart and you drink his will. He says, I want you to be morally clean. Would you obey the law of chastity? I don't want to, Lord. I don't want to. No one else does. And we push away. No. You take that and you drink it. And you break your heart. That is step one. If you want to have an eternal family,
you got to go to the place where families are eternal, and that is not the celestial world. Let me say that again. If you want an eternal family, you have to go to the place where families are eternal, and that is not the celestial world. You have to get out of the celestial world. You have to let go. You have to break, kill, and bury everything that's celestial inside you. Now, when you've done that, you're halfway there. You're halfway there. Now the Lord says, let's work on the next half. Let's get out of the terrestrial world and get into the celestial. Can you have an eternal family in the terrestrial world? You can't. You gotta leave everything terrestrial and get into the celestial. Now, where are the covenants? Where are the covenants that focus on getting out of the terrestrial and into the celestial? They're in the temple. That's why we need chapels and why we need temples. But the focus is going to be very different in the temple. The focus of the covenants of the temple are going to be get out of terrestrial and into the celestial. If you want an eternal family, what room do you have to get into? You have to get into the celestial room. There is no other room that has eternal families in it. Which means eventually, and I know it's not today, but eventually, how many celestial things do you have to let go of? All of them. How many terrestrial things do you have to let go of? And that's going to be a long, hard journey. And we can only do it with the Savior's help and covenants. So tomorrow, next week, we will focus on the covenants of the temple and how they are designed to help us get out of the terrestrial and into the celestial. I leave you with my testimony. Journey number one is hard. It is hard to kill the natural man. It is hard to throw that ring into the mountain. It is so, it feels so good to put that ring on. But the more you put that ring on, the more the ring controls you. And you will never let it go. It is my testimony. The only people who have eternal families are the ones who in the end can let go of the ring. That's why I carry it with me. Am I going to control that ring or is that ring going to control me? Am I going to control my animal or is my animal going to control me? May we all get out of the celestial room and journey towards the only place where there are eternal families. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Eternal Family Podcast class. 
would you ponder this week and discuss with someone, maybe someone in your inner circle or a friend or a colleague or the class itself or me personally, would you discuss what you see in chapel ordinances that are the covenants, the the behaviors, the changes I need to make in my life to overcome the natural man, to let go of that natural man and become more terrestrial. Thank you.